Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. I am John Pothor. It's the editor of Commentary Magazine, reminding you that on November 13th, that's a Sunday, in New York, we are doing the 12th annual Commentary Roast, one of the great events of the year. We're roasting Barry Weiss. It's going to be a barn burner. And everybody you love will be there, all your favorite writers, all your favorite everybody's from the podcast and around the podcast. Uh, go to commentary.org slash roast for more details. Noah Rothman is out for a week. Uh, Abe Greenwald is somewhere, but he hasn't logged on yet. So it is just me with media commentary columnist Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And joining us today, fan favorite, Washington Free Beacon editor, Eliana Johnson. Hi, Eliana. Hi, John. Yes, and as I believe, uh, Christine, this is the first time we have a female-dominated female podcast. Majority. It's interrupting. A, it's two to one. I, I, <laughs> I'm already interrupting. I'm already taking that... <laughs> Taking my power, as the feminists like to say. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Christine, yeah. we gotta like braid John's hair and paint there his nails. Yeah. Yes, there yes, there will be pillow fights. <laughs> okay, so let's 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 start in on the pillow fight about last night's uh, results in the primaries in New York and Florida, and a special election in New York. Um, there is a lot of glee on the democrat liberal side of the ledger was last night and this morning because in this special election um in mid-state new york let's say uh we had in a district that went for biden by two points in a special election because the congressman uh in place became the lieutenant governor uh former uh, a, a Republican, a moderate Republican, relatively moderate Republican named Molinaro was up against a Democrat named Ryan. Molinaro ran on inflation. Ryan ran his almost entire his campaign almost entirely on abortion rights after Dobbs. Uh, district was won by Biden by two points in 2020. And in a shocker, supposedly a shocker last night, Ryan, the Democrat, won the district by two points, the same margin as Biden. And the line is, ooh, this is bad for Republicans. Ooh, boy, because in a wave year, uh, a district that Biden only won by two should be knocked off by a Republican and taken. And if uh, there is no change in the dynamic, that means there. this is a harbinger of a non-wave. Um, so the Cook political report says... It's not a wave, it's a trickle, or something like that. I, I have it here, but I don't know a where ripple, it is. A ripple. A ripple, thank you. It's not a wave, it's a ripple. And uh, and to be fair, Amy Walter, who was the editor of the Cook Political Report, uh, was herself a wave person, um, very much a wave person just four or five weeks ago. But one thing about the Cook Political Report in the course of its entire career is... Uh, it is weather veiny. Like, it'll say, oh boy, this is really terrible, and then a little bit will change and then they'll be like oh boy everything's changed so they're they're not they're not exactly constant in their assurance though they would say that that's because they just look at the data and when the data change they change eliana you got a good one out of politico this morning to give a sense of how the mainstream uh is feeling yes uh politico playbook headlined dems flip 2022 on its head um the whole year has been flipped on its head. And the first line, the lead was, uh, it's time to adjust your expectations for November. So it seems to me that people have been adjusting their expectations for November for about a month now, as the terrible Republican Senate candidate quality has come to the fore, as Mitch McConnell, the Senate uh, minority leader, um, has been kind of... Um, tamping down any expectations even that they might not take over the senate whereas usually you would have this kind of like we're coming we're coming for you here comes the jugular now that's not mcconnell's tone in general but 
he's basically setting the table for if they just win one seat, it'll be like, oh, we really pulled it off. And if they don't, then don't blame us because the candidates were terrible. And uh, so the, it really comes down to the House. I think it is fair to say that if Republicans with a five-seat minority in a midterm election with a president who last poll, the Pew Research poll yesterday coming out with Biden's approval at 37 percent, if Republicans can't net six or seven seats uh, in this atmosphere, then they're in a whole whale of trouble uh, that would like go against everything, every fundamental idea that we have about electoral politics. But but this is this is actually what's interesting. I think that is the kind of politics we're headed into. And instead of the the wave metaphor, which is which is used all the time uh, by Cook political report types, it's more like it just strikes me, particularly in the last six months, of being like a wave pool. You know, when you go to those dodgy uh, water parks and they have the wave pool where it's calm and then they someone presses a button and it's these huge waves and then it's calm again. And and there's a sense in which I think for Republicans in particular, there was a there was similar glee to what the Democrats have now when inflation was and and Biden's approval ratings were suggesting that it was going to be an easy coasting win for them. That's receded a little bit. Dobbs, the Dobbs decision obviously motivated a lot of Democratic voters who might otherwise not have been motivated in these primaries. But there were some other interesting things going on. Democrats were outperforming Biden's performance in a lot of these districts. So Biden is still unpopular, even as some Democrats locally are winning. In states like Florida, a lot of the MAGA types didn't win. Like a lot of MAGA type Republicans didn't win their primaries, which is good. And the same on the progressive left. A lot of moderate Democrats or more typical Democrats beat the progressives back. So there was a moderating influence there. And the elections that were really interesting to me were the school board elections in Florida, where almost all of the candidates that Ron DeSantis endorsed won. Um, and so there there are some interesting things going on politically. And if we start thinking about whether inflation roars back or doesn't doesn't get any better, uh, gas prices stay sort of painful, even though they're not quite as painful as they were this summer. And, you know, Biden's uh, trying to do this student loan debt forgiveness uh, ploy uh, that could change again. We could see those shifts still going. We're still kind of a long way from November. OK, let me propose some theories and let's react to the theories. Theory number one. Uh, the Dobbs decision comes down in June. This uh, We've had two elections that have turned almost exclusively on abortion. That was the Kansas referendum, and now this race, this special, uh, with Ryan basically running, nationalizing his campaign, which is a, in a local district. Um, obviously, all districts are local, but but basically running on abortion. And they're, so they're two for two. Uh, in Dobbs-related activity, Democrats. Now, when this, when we heard last year that the Supreme Court was going to hear this case, I remember the day it happened, and Matt Continetti, Eliana's predecessor as editor of the Free Beacon, was on, and we all said, like, look, there's just no template. We have no idea what the political, assuming that the Supreme Court overturns Roe, we have no idea what the effect is going to be. And you got to be honest that you just don't know, like massive epical decisions like this have consequences and you you don't know. And like pro, a lot of pro-lifers were sort of like whistling, you know, a happy tune as though, you know, they were getting what they wanted and they, it's very important that they get it. But the, but clearly this is introduced a very interesting note of unprecedented political uncertainty that so far we have no indication will do anything but good for Democrats because it doesn't seem to be doing much good for Republicans as far as as far as we can tell. Well, I think Republicans are committing political malpractice on this issue, which is Democrats are seizing it and campaigning on it. And the way you characterize this uh, campaign in New York's 19th congressional district was uh, Republican, that the Republican Molinaro campaigned on inflation, all of which is fine, but that the Democrat um, who won, Ryan, campaigned on abortion. Um, it, it, it does strike me that Republicans are letting Democrats take that campaign issue and not answering it. Um, Republicans 
need to respond and have a message on abortion. Uh, and they need to own their views on it, uh, most of which are popular. Um, you know, for the ones who say like all abortion with no exceptions for race, uh, rape, incest, life of the mother, like, okay, those those guys should not be campaigning probably on their views. But for the ones who share the views of most Americans, which are, you know, uh, restrictions on abortion at the point of like, you know, 16 weeks, 20 weeks in the Democratic Party, that's like a radical pro-life view. And they should embrace their views and paint Democrats as the actual radicals on this issue. Um, you know, abortion till birth, abortion after birth, like they, I think that's a, that, that is a campaign issue for Republicans. And it reminds me of um, actually, Republicans before Trump, they were afraid to campaign on issues like immigration, um, of being painted as hateful for saying like, no, you know, we should have a border. Remember like Rubio, the gang of eight, like they were told that was the thing, like we need to be caring and sensitive and like actually the the view that they really had inside that like all these guys really believed was quite popular with people. And I think we're seeing some of that on abortion where like they're afraid to say what they really think. This is such a good point because I think it's it, there's a weird sort of hangover effect from years and years of being called, you know, Republicans hate children, Republicans hate the poor, Republicans hate anyone who's not white. That that relentless mantra, which, of course, the, the mainstream media has long uh, encouraged and enthusiastically uh, participated in creating, has made them really shy and, and in a way kind of not understanding what what most people feel. You're absolutely right that there's a there's a growing view among regular people that when they see what's happening on the border, babies drowning on the daily, people suffering, people being trafficked by by horrible, you know, uh, dealers in, in human bodies like this, this is a terrible situation. It's inhumane and it's inhumane because we don't have strong and well enforced border policy. So you're absolutely right that a, that a Republican who could speak to that issue can speak to abortion as a matter of not just a federal but as we the outliers globally are actually Democrats on abortion right now, most European countries, which the Democrats love to cite in terms of their social policy, um, are well within the range of what most average Americans and Republicans are saying, which is restrictions after 12 to 16 weeks. That's actually the, that's long been the policy in most of these European countries. And we are the outliers and were under row for for decades. So it's strange that they don't want to talk about it. I wonder if there's the Trump effect there, which is that, you know, I think, as Eliana said, says they would be seen as hateful, anti-woman. We also don't have a lot of female Republican candidates who can speak to this in the way that I think a lot of the men, the male candidates are not comfortable doing. Okay, so uh, that's a kind of meliorist view. And I'm now going to uh, devil's advocate or spit in the punch bowl or something like that. So what happened was a big change. Uh, conservatives on the Supreme Court have led a major American change in approach to a the most controversial social issue of the last 50 years. And so Republicans own the change and maybe ordinary people don't like change. I mean, it's that simple. Um, the, and what's more, what's interesting is what is the Republic? What is the claim in the midterm by the party out of power? It's not us. Everything that's happening to you, it's not us. We don't have the House. We don't have the Senate. We don't have the White House. Everything bad that is going on is their fault. So blame them, and we'll do what we can to stop them and maybe do better things on our side. Dobbs complicated that because even though it's not the Republican Party that did the Supreme Court decision, the conservative court made an earth-shaking change that Democrats have very little power to reverse. So it makes it look like Republicans are in power and that you can take a stab at Republicans in power. You can say, I am unhappy with you for making this change in a way that really hasn't happened before in a midterm. Very little, you know, countervailing power has been expressed as a result of a, you know, as a result of a, an unelected body. And so Democrats got a gift in that sense because it bifurcated the 
send them a message thing. Because now there's a message to be sent to the people who got you the court that has, that has, um, you know, overturned Roe and introduced again, this note of uncertainty where you have a lot of people really not sure what is going to happen now. And of course, what you guys are saying is absolutely true. What you do in these circumstances is you have poll tested proof that, overwhelming majorities of the American people want some restrictions on abortion and that 15 weeks fetal heart, however you want to, however you want to slice it, that all of this talked about in a certain way that gets people's support, but you have to be good at making arguments. And one of the interesting things about the Republican party in its current iteration is that it has lost the ability to make arguments that is Trump's contribution to the Republican Party. No more arguments. Ad hominem, say, you're making me poor, say, you're taking my this away, you're taking my that away, you're taking my freedom. Not that a lot of this isn't true or not true, but they're not arguments, right? The interesting they're thing complaints, is... They're complaints, right? They're complaints yeah. or grievances. And so, and so the party of Trump is a party that, if what you're saying is, okay, look, this is a very, we're, we're in new territory here. And I think you, we all agree, at the very least, that a baby that can survive outside the womb should not be aborted, right? We can all agree on that. I think probably all rational people can say the baby extracted from a mother's body can survive outside the womb. It's murder to kill that baby. Well, you know, then go back a few weeks before that. Baby, you actually have to intervene to end the life of that baby or the, you know, the the incipient life of that baby. That's kind of gross. Shouldn't do that. And the Europeans don't do that and blah, blah, blah. Well, those are arguments. Those are debating points. Those are, you know, just don't see that. So that's my, that's my uh, being the, you know, being the, Debbie Downer at the garden party about why, why this uh, has teeth. But I do think it's important to note that Dave Wasserman, the analyst at the political report points out that in a, in these, a lot of these places where uh, Democrats are outperforming, um, there has been massive turnout in college towns Rochester, Lawrence, Kansas, places like that, in these weird timed midterm primary election moments. And um, uh, those places, those districts are not representative of the country as a whole. And that, yeah, if you can gin up massive turnout among voters who are two to one Republican, uh, two to one Democrat, when they ordinarily don't vote, you don't know what's going to happen, but that's going to be a hard sell in no, come November. So maybe Democrats should be a little less gleeful today because it just so happens that circumstances were favorable in these weird cases. There was also the it, the, the Mar-a-Lago raid did kind of force the hand of, of some leading Republicans to have to take a side again on Trump. And they had been able to avoid doing that. And that also is a signal to the independent voter. Oh, wait, that's the team that's with this guy. And he was so chaotic. And I don't want to deal with that again. So that is the that was the number two theory I was going to promulgate here, which is that. Trump. Is a more powerful, potent and important political figure than Biden. Trump being in the news is great for Democrats. He he dominates the news in a way that excites 35% of the electorate uh, positively, enrages 35 to 40% of the public negatively rages obviously and then it's like what are these other people is it like oh no not him again and again i think it also makes this the same point about the about dobbs which is 
you kind of forget he's not the president or you kind of forget that he's not in power if the entire political conversation is about Trump and Mar-a-Lago and the FBI going after Trump. It's like it's like 2019 all over again and he's still president. And that's not good. Like he lost the House and, you know, he lost the House in, the, uh, in 2018 and he lost the presidency in the Senate in 2020. He's not good for the Republican Party. Sorry. And so maybe we're going to see the consequences of that in November. Eliana, what do you make of that theory? I have a couple of thoughts, um, and I hope I don't make a hash of articulating them because they're not totally co-ate. But the first is that uh, I do think, and this is a point that Matt Continetti has made um, in a column for The Beacon, and I think on this podcast, that um, Republicans were... I think hoping to be swept along by like the tide of history and um, and on this wave. And we're not like thinking exactly about how to be on offense. They were taking things for granted. And now I think they are realizing like, you know, unexpected things happen. Dobbs happened. Um, the Trump raid happened. Trump is back in the news. Um, and, you know, by the way, like, McConnell's chosen candidates didn't win some primaries. Some of them, you know, we don't exactly know who McCarthy wanted, but we can assume like not all the McCarthy like chosen candidates won the primaries. Um, Stuff's messy. It didn't turn out exactly how we wanted. Like not all these people are going to sweep into office. There is a real campaign that has to be had. Like personal agency matters. It's not just like the sweep of history and these guys have to run a campaign. Uh, So that's like my first thought. The second is, um, and I hate to say this on this podcast because all these people tune in to like, you know, hear expertise. But it occurred to me that like, you know, the longer you are in media and like around people like us who are like, you know, quote unquote experts in politics, you realize that like nobody really knows anything. And so it's like, I really We're as bad have as no the pollsters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, I really have no idea what's going to happen in, in November, but like none of these people really, you know, prognosticating do either. And it does seem to me like we really aren't going to know um, what was the impact of Dobbs? What was the impact of the Trump raid? Like, yeah, all these things are going to matter, but we really won't know until after Election Day. And even then, it's going to be hard to parse. Like, how how much did these things matter? I think it's 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 hard to disentangle all of these things. Nate, Nate Silver says something interesting in this regard, which is funny because he, of course, became famous and rich and everything because he kind of implicitly promised the opposite of what I'm now about to say that he says, but he says, look, when you're talking about elections or the last eight elections or something as a data set, that's actually not a lot of data. Like we say, well, in midterms, blah, blah, blah happens. But if you're talking about eight midterms, you know, since, I don't know when, you know, 1984 or something like that. Um, that's not like a, that's not like a comprehensive, comprehensive data set um, where you can really say there are, some things are commonsensical, right? The party out of power seems to do better than the party in power in midterm elections, except in 2002. Okay. So, except in 2002, <laughs> but okay, but 2002, but and, and you can't count that because it was after 9-11. But okay, so it was after 9-11, so this is after Dobbs. Maybe Dobbs is a domestic 9-11. I mean, it doesn't really feel like a domestic 9-11, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm just saying like... I hope nobody wrenches that out of context. No, down. but yeah, we, what I mean, yeah. This is why but, we don't have transcripts of our shows. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying like, like what the point you make is very salient, which is that anything can create a new reality. And we know this about presidential elections. Every presidential election creates a new path to winning the presidency that no one had before. And it's weird because then we say, well, I mean, obviously Trump can't win, but it's all, every president creates his own 
presidential successful bid, you know? Trump did you know, it. The cliche that's yeah. like, oh, they're always running the last race, not the yeah. next race. But there's like yeah. some truth into how it, there's some truth about it in terms of like how we think about and talk about races. Well, exactly. We're always because, looking at them through yeah. the lens of previous years rather than yeah. like, hey, maybe we don't right. know because this is entirely new. Yeah. I mean, and also thought a the, basement strategy would have won someone the presidency. Right? Well, that, well that, <laughs> that, that's my point, because uh, everyone who wins doesn't run the last race. Trump created a new constituency. Obama created a new constituency. Bush in 2004 had a different, uh, you know, sort of uh, electoral creation in his electorate from the one that he had in 2000. Same thing with Clinton in 96 and in 92. Like, this is this is a thing. Like, And so midterms have tended to have these truisms spoken of them. But truisms only go as far as they go. Uh, and then there are other truisms that are make perfect sense. But So on the one hand, it was like, it's a wave. And a wave, people get elected that you never expect. And on the other hand, candidate quality matters. So what's more important? Is a wave more important? Or is candidate quality more important? And moreover... Or just not having Dr. Oz on the ballot more right. important. Or... Does bad candidate quality played well screw up the wave? The wave seems to be a naturally occurring event that is the result of all of these things coming together, including the majority party in power. But maybe what happens before the wave affects the wave. And the wave doesn't happen because that's how reality works, you know, you can structure a theory that says Republicans will win 75 seats in the House and 14 seats in the Senate. But, you know, if uh, if Herschel Walker is your candidate in Georgia and Oz is your candidate in Pennsylvania, maybe, maybe not. I mean, Oz is now likely to lose to a guy who has difficulty speaking. <laughs> that recent clip was very disturbing. Of I mean, it's yeah. very yeah. disturbing to see John Fetterman. And, I, you know, like if you had to bet $1,000 right now, you would bet on Fetterman, right? How is he going to govern in that role if he's, I mean, well. I don't know, Mark. I think you overestimate the difficulty of serving as a United States senator. (laughs) This is a very crucial point you've made, yes. Governor different, by the way. I think he'll fit right, he'll blend. He'll blend. (laughs) Yeah, um, uh, I was at uh, uh, Second City, the comedy troupe, the other night um, uh, in Chicago, And there was this, you know, they do a blackout, then there's this new sketch, and it's all of these children, like, in a nursery, and they're, they're like, one of them is, like, or, or first you think they're children, then you think, then you realize they're old people, demented old people in a nursing home, because they're, like, throwing things at each other, and they're, like, yeah, one of them starts yelling that women should, you know, only be barefoot and pregnant, and they're just sort of walking around, and then someone comes (laughs) and says... Uh, senators, it's time to vote, and then blackout. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if if Diane Feinstein can be a senator, John Fetterman can be a senator, right? So that's one thing. But but it is. Um, I have now gotten so deranged, like by the by the last six years of Trump, that when that this controversial thing that. This thing that happened where Oz's spokesman said maybe if John Fetterman ate a vegetable, he wouldn't have, you know, he he wouldn't have had a stroke. And I was like, what's so terrible about that? Now I sort of, I, it was like my first impulse was, it's not so bad. Okay. It's not so bad. Like, and then I realized it's terrible. But did you see the follow up when they were when the blowback came for like, how could you be so mean to someone who just had a stroke that the spokesperson's response was, Dr. Oz has been promoting a healthy diet based on plants for years. This is just part of his overall effort to make all Americans healthy. It was the most ridiculous, yeah. you know, bullshit. It was very funny. Yeah. And, you know, because, you know, Republicans love love plant based. There's nothing a Republican loves more than, a beyond, State food than a beyond burger, <laughs> a beyond burger with a side of kale. That is the Republican. That's what you get at the Republican State Fair booth is some kale. And one of Dr. Oz's supplements, 
and a Beyond Burger on some kind of a plant-based roll. Anyway, I, but I mean, I'm just saying like I, there was some, something weird in my own head that I didn't immediately understand what an unbelievable gaffe this was because I always kept thinking because I got inured to this because every time Trump would make some crazy, I was like, well, that's it for him, you know? And, and every time it never mattered, you know, the, the taco bowl. Remember the, I love, I love Mexicans. I, I just got a taco bowl from the Trump grill downstairs, <laughs> you know, and I was like, all right, well, you know, he had a good run there. And of course I was wrong. So now I'm like, well, anybody can say anything, but it's actually not, it's actually didn't not actually true. call Hispanic voters tacos. Like the first lady did. So, oh, I yes. mean, you know, yes, <laughs> gradations of food metaphors here. Um, uh, let me just take a step back and talk to you about David Bonson's economics course. You've heard me talk about it at Bonson.com, B-A-H-N-S-E-N. So David, who runs an investment management firm with $3.5 billion under management with these two great newsletters, the dctoday.com. Well, actually, now it's really only the dctoday.com, not dividendcafe.com, and he does a great podcast over at National Review. So he has structured for free a 30-lecture course in the history of economics, what economic ideas are, how they interact, how they interact with our political dynamic, and how all of this, this understanding should give you a sense of the importance of free markets, the connection between free markets and God-given liberties, and a whole range of things. It's free. Syllabus. 30 lectures. All you got to do is go to Bonson.com, B-A-H-N-S-E-N.com. You'll see a B at the left side. Move your eye over a little. You'll see economics. Of course, you click on that. You put in your name. You put in your email. And you are good to go. This is a fantastic opportunity for people who are literate in economics to get a refresher course and remind themselves of where their ideas came from. And it is an unbelievable opportunity for people who have not had a real grounding in this to become expert in the field. So that's Bonson.com, David Bonson's economics course. Go there today. Uh, Let's go back to this. The very fact that we still spend on this podcast, we basically podcast five hours a week, right? Two hours of those five hours, I would say on average a week, are given to talking about Trump. Are you saying we have a problem, John? Well, I don't know. If, I think the country has a problem. I think <laughs> yes. everybody has a problem. And I do think that in Eliana's terms, these midterm elections are... The question is, will they be a Rorschach test where Republicans who like Trump say, aha, you see, we want to wave. He was very, he participated a lot. And boom, you know, it's hit, you know, people want him to be president. Biden's an idiot, blah, blah, blah. Or are people going to say this was a disappointing result? Trump was front and center in the summer because of Mar-a-Lago and various other things. And he got these bad Senate candidates who lost and all of that. Are we crazy? He's got to be stopped. He can't be president. in twenty. He can't be the nominee in 2024. You know, he's now had, th- there'll be three straight elections that he ruined everything. Um, I fear that it won't be that <laughs> clean cut but it could be and and it's an interesting question about whether the world of people who were best represented by the former head of the heritage foundation jim dement statement that he would rather have 30 great conservative republican senators than 60 rhinos the single dumbest thing that anyone in politics has ever said Because it's like, I want to perpetually be out of power with absolutely no ability to work my will rather than be able to work my will some but have to, you know, concede in other ways. That's my dream is to be a loser forever, but to be pure in in political terms. Well, I mean, that's where we might be with, you know, with sort of the Trump wing. Any thoughts? Don't all jump in at once. This is supposed to be a female-dominated podcast. 
I'm so we're thinking. thoughtful. We wait. Yes, yes we wait. I'm, we, okay. we process. Oh, you're thinking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now I'm mansplaining what you should be doing as women. I'm sorry. You fell right into our trap, Eliana. Uh, I, no, I, I was taking in what you said and thinking. Um, I, I do think right now Trump remains the dominant political figure in the country, partly because Biden is so weak and pathetic and unimpressive. And um, but I just don't think we know, like, will anyone challenge Trump? I don't know what that primary, but what I'm not like ready to declare defeat because I don't know what that primary is going to look like in 2024. I'm not convinced that he'll like just waltz in and be the nominee. Right. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm also not convinced that like uh, somebody will challenge him. Um, I, we don't know how this like Mar-a-Lago raid and investigation will play out. Uh, I Ross out that had a great piece on this over the weekend. I'm not sure if you guys have talked about it on here, but like the upshot of it was like DOJ, if you're taking a shot at the king, like you better get you the better king. kill him. You yeah. better have evidence that convinces, you know, the people like us here that like they really got him. And if they don't, um, I think that's going to be radicalizing for a lot of people like including people like us you know who are already suspicious of the politicization of federal law enforcement um but there are there are too many unknowns i think for me to have a yeah. sense of how trump is going to impact 2024 be it running or from the sidelines and and how this is going to play out and he's also it's interesting to see one of the other you know DeSantis went around and stumped for a bunch of candidates in recent weeks many many MAGA type candidates um, but he did it without being super MAGA himself although he's the one who's sort of flirting with the cloning you know cloning and improving on on MAGA right that's his formula it's working well for him in Florida um he's you know he's now uh, Charlie Crist won won the primary on the other side he's gonna he's gonna absolutely steamroll Charlie Crist um so he's gonna be successful he's got a big war chest but you also have Republicans like Glenn Youngkin who was a who, who surprised a lot of dem mainstream Democrats when he won the uh, governorship in Virginia and who has a different style and a different approach and he's not MAGA on the contrary but policy wise he he has actually made some efforts to do things that are that are more far reaching um I'm not sure he's going to run either but you do have alternative models the question is whether those as Eliana says whether those are going to be powerful enough if Trump's chaos is is still at its peak um as it has been in recent weeks that people might even even former Trump voters might have had enough I hope so but those guys have to find a way to galvanize the base and say yeah, we know you love Trump. Here's all the things we loved about Trump. But the times have changed and we need someone who can actually go up against this weak and feeble president who is who is doing all kinds of crazy unconstitutional power grabs while the economy tanks and while you're, you know, while you worry about what your kids are being taught in public schools and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Someone could do that. But it, and honestly, Trump doesn't have a rebuttal to that. I don't know what his rebuttal to that is besides I'm Trump. Hear me roar. So we want to talk about the Biden hijinks um something interesting happened yesterday and the day before yesterday with desantis um which is he smoked a lot of people out he did the, he did this weird you know top gun ad you know he's in a plane he's flying you know then the lincoln project people and all that are like oh look at him he's trying to be dead maverick yeah who is he? And then Stuart Stevens is he's like an actual veteran. That's what he yeah, is. No, no, no. But Stuart Stevens is like, look, here's a picture of him. He's fat. Look, he's fat. He doesn't want you to see him below, you know, like uh, on podium because he's fat. Right. So, yeah. And he was. Uh, and so then they're like, well, wait, he's a bronze. He's won a bronze star. Like he's a veteran. He won a bronze star. Yeah, but he was only a jag. He's only a jag. This is a lawyer. Yeah, he was a lawyer in Fallujah, the most dangerous place on earth. And when you see stuff like that, this is where, and now I'm doing, you start seeing weird analogies to Reagan, which is to say when Reagan 
in the 70s was sort of like moving upward as the possible insurgent candidate, not that he was an insurgent because he almost won the nomination in 76, but as this kind of out of Washington candidate. And there was all this, he's so stupid. He's a movie star. He's so stupid. And he's extreme. And he's like, he's like, he wants to bring the end times. He's so stupid. And what an idiot. And then he would come out and he would like give a speech or he would talk or he would say, there you go again. And that was the end of it because the people who hated him or were fearful of him were so fearful of him that they characterized him in a way that lowered the bar so low for him to clear it. Just being a civil, relatively pleasant, you know, not foaming at the mouth. And Trump has done this too in a weird way. Like maybe it means they won't be exciting enough, but DeSantis just has to come out and not seem like psychotic to start making the liberal criticisms of him seem bananas to ordinary middle-of-the-road non-passionate voters. Well, do you guys remember the ad that he ran in 2018 that was, like, insanely stupid? Yeah. Uh, He had his kid on his lap uh, reading the children's book, Build the Wall. Yeah. And I remember thinking it was in the maybe in the primary against Putnam yeah or in the general I can't remember but I was like this is the stupidest ad it was so insanely effective I mean you know I was completely wrong um it was like the dumbest and most effective ad ever and and like this is going to be also um and his ads are actually quite good there is this top gov ad but there's also a bunch of um DeSantis supporters, but they're like regular people speaking direct to camera of the way his policies have helped them. Um, They're quite good. And I think that the people who, you know, if their best attack is like he was only a jag, that's that's not good. Yeah. So, look, as a as a matter of resume with DeSantis, it's kind of jaw dropping, right? He's like a lower middle class perfect resume. He has a perfect like kind of out of a bad novel about the guy who becomes president resume, you know, dad. He has a perfect resume. Yeah. Yeah. Went to Yale, but, you know, was on the baseball team, but, you know, kept to himself, goes to Harvard. He went to Yale and the Ivy League does not give athletic scholarships. Right. So, you know, he like earned his way in to Yale um, through like, hard work yeah. and yeah. Yeah. you know he he really yeah. got in and and then played on the baseball team and actually uh i remember back in the day uh i'm a yale graduate also i say this only to say that desantis and i had like you know a not a friendship but like knew each other when he was in dc a bit and he told me once that um he showed up at yale in a pair of jean shorts and people looked at him like what the heck that is like, to this day his most radical act right there. like That's dudes it. do yeah. not wear jean shorts here and yeah. that was the first thing that tipped me off that like oh this is a kind of a working class kid who like showed like people that is not what like men wear at yale and um and i thought it was like so charming uh that you know when he when he said this but um yeah, he should he should talk about that more. That was very yeah, I mean, funny. Yeah, so there he is. So he, he has this like surreal resume and he's 44 years old and he went in the military by, obviously by choice. Everybody goes in the military by choice. But, you know, was on this like elite track and, you know, ends up as a jag in the most dangerous, you know, ends up in a flak jacket for a year in the most dangerous place on earth. Get wins a bronze star, comes back, becomes a congressman, becomes a governor. And then Stuart Stevens is calling him fat. Like, why don't you just give him $100 million in free publicity? Just create that dynamic. You go right ahead, Stuart Stevens. You did a great job getting Clint Eastwood on that podium in 2012. Let's see what other magic you can perform to get people that you don't like elected. Because you're an idiot. And I don't care. I like, I used to like you, but you're behaving like a moron. And Rick Wilson, also somebody I liked, is behaving like a moron. If they don't like DeSantis, they better treat him more formidably. 
because he is going to squish them like a bug if they go uh, on like uh, this. I remember when Chris Christie was like a serious contender and, and he ended up not running, but there was something about his weight that was like a little bit relatable to people, I think. Um, and the same is true. Like, I don't, you know, at times I think DeSantis has like, you know, carries maybe 10 or 15 extra pounds. Um, that's kind a dad of, bod. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of relatable. On the other hand, his wife is like the woman every man wants to be married to. So, you know. Now, uh, there are problems. Like, beautiful. Yeah, very, he has a beautiful very, family. Very yeah. beautiful. Look, there are problems. And just survived with, cancer yeah. treatment. Uh, like, like, she's, yeah. She yeah. is stunning. So, yeah. there are problems with DeSantis. I'm not saying that he is a perfect candidate. No one is ever a perfect candidate, as our current president would make very clear. The only guy who could win the presidency because history conspired to make it possible for people to never see or hear from him for months so that he could just be this opaque mirror. And let's talk about the opaque mirror uh, coming back from his 212-year vacation uh, to Washington, apparently to announce a completely unconstitutional plan to forgive student loan debt. And to extend the existing moratorium even longer the uh, on, on right. debt. Right. So as we know, Nancy Pelosi says he doesn't have the power to do this. Uh, so she was like, we're not even going to talk about this because he doesn't have the power to do it. So he's going to announce that he's going to do it, which means eventually that it won't happen. It's sort of like the dream, like Obama and the dreamers. Like, it's not going to happen because the court will say, what are you out of your mind? You don't have unilateral power to interfere with private contract um, that people enter into willingly and, uh, and all of that. Um, and uh, okay. So, He's coming back to do this. Why? I have my theory, but you you guys tell me your theory. Why why is he doing this? People like free stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say it's a free it's the free toaster. I mean, why not? Why not? Um, but it, I will say it is it's astonishing to me that this overreach, I mean, this is an abuse of his power, just as it was an abuse of his power. And he knew it was an abuse of his power with him when he tried to do the eviction moratorium. Like th this is not, he is not allowed constitutionally. He is not allowed to do this, uh, but he's got, he's getting a lot of pressure from the Elizabeth Warren flank of his party saying, you've got to do this. These people are suffering. It's so terrible. What a crisis, 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 crisis. And, and this is, I think, interestingly, we had a whole thread during the years uh, that we were, podcasting during the COVID years and the lockdown saying, never let a crisis go to waste. This is the kind of long tail of never let a crisis go to waste. The idea being, oh, it's so horrible. we got to protect our students. And they, but and we were talking about this just before, and I know Eliana has a, she has a good argument for this, so I'll let you make it, but it, it it's really strange. And it when you say, why is he doing this? There's not an obvious answer beyond a brief kind of, we'll give free stuff because this will help us give us a boost in the midterms, even if it never comes to fruition. But this actively harms um, the people who didn't go to college. And we've known this, we've had this discussion. I get on a real high horse about this because I had, I was a scholarship student in college who had to work several jobs to pay my way. I had student loans after grad school that I had to work several jobs to pay off. And the idea that, you know, you're just going to give away free stuff and just to one small group briefly, because that means the kids who start college this year in the, you know, in the fall, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily going to get debt forgiveness, people coming later. It helps. It's making people who haven't gone to college pay for a poor financial decision made by those who went to college and graduate school. And that's wrong. It's just wrong. I'm not a Marxist, but that's wrong. <laughs> I do have a theory about why they're doing this. Um, politically, I don't think it makes sense. Um, it, and we were chit-chatting about this before we started recording, which is what Christine was referring to. And I, I was saying, like, this is an appeal to college-educated voters who are already part of the Democrats' core constituency. Um, they're bleeding non-college-educated voters. And, you know, the ads write themselves with, like, the waiters and waitresses speaking to camera about why should I be, like, with my tax dollars paying for the college education of these people who, like, didn't plan accordingly. Um, but so, so that's where I don't think it makes sense politically. However, um, in terms of 
Biden and his advisors conception or like view of what they want his presidency to be and how they are pitching his presidency to the public. I do think it makes sense. And I just want to read you guys. uh, This is Ron Klain on the Politico podcast. He says, we now have a presidency where the president has delivered the largest economic recovery plan since Roosevelt, the largest infrastructure plan since Eisenhower the second largest health care bill since Johnson and the largest climate climate change bill in history, uh, yada, 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 on and on. I think it's a record to take to the American people. They they want to position him as like, you know, ramming through the biggest uh, and most freebies to the American people, uh, you know, since uh, he he's FDR, he's LBJ, you know, he's Kennedy and they like want to chisel him into Mount Rushmore. And I think this is part of that. Um, Otherwise, like, I don't think um, I don't think it makes any sense. Okay, I think it makes sense in this regard. It is not going to happen. It is going to be ruled. (laughs) It is going to be ruled. I'm with you on that. Okay, it's going to be ruled unconstitutional. A for effort. Okay, so why would you do this to lose it? It is a very immediate effort to create a sugar high with exactly the people that Eliana is talking about. Americans between the ages, not of 18 and 21, because they're in college, those people, whatever, between the ages of 22 and 35, to say, hey, guess what, you guys? I'm giving you $10,000 or $25,000, I think, if you have a Pell Grant, or $20,000 if you have a Pell Grant. Um, You know what? People like you never vote in midterm elections, ever. You never vote in midterm elections. All midterm, the midterm electorate is the oldest electorate we have, dominated by people over the age of 40. I'm going to. Here's 10,000 bucks. Go vote for me. Go vote for a Democrat. You you would anyway. Like, that's who you would vote for. You're a college-educated person, proud of your college education. You're two to one or three to, if, what is it, uh, three to two likely to be a Democrat than to be a Republican or a leaner in that regard. Here's 10, you know, it's like walking around money. Here's t- I'm, I'm going to give you 10,000 bucks. All I need you to do implicitly, this is the, is go, you know, be enthusiastic about us. Because now you're going to get something. You specifically are going to get something for free. I'm giving you something for free. It was like the whole Obama phone rumor stuff that went around in Ohio in 2012 that helped <laughs> that helped Obama win Ohio by five points. Um, go. So it is about that. Democrats need their base to be enthusiastic to vote in 2022. So we hear about Dobbs doing it and abortion's going to do it and guns are going to do it and all of that. But classically issues do not succeed in that regard. Again, we don't have enough of large enough data set to show that that can't be different in, you know, in this epical moment about abortion. But basically if, if he's going to announce today, I'm giving college educated people $10,000 you know, aren't I great? And my party, our party is going to give you $10,000. It is basically just the perfect moment of elite capture of the Democratic Party. This will be the day that it, whether or not it ever, yeah. it, it, as you say, it's not going to pass there. But there's no and there's no check on this. I'm sorry, Nancy Pelosi saying, oh, he can't do that. That's the that's as far as the Democrats are going to go. But what right. Republicans to, to Eliana's earlier point in the podcast about how the Republicans are failing on messaging on a lot of these important things and really missing opportunities to respond and to be a party that's trying to seize back a majority rather than just hang out and hope for the best historical wave. Um, there is a really strong message here that's a pocketbook issue for people. And this will make inflation worse. This will make college tuition prices higher down the line. And to say to people right now, especially working class people who might want to send their kids to college, to say, Everything in your household is going to cost more as a result of this. All of this inflation reduction that they're claiming for that bill they passed before, that's gone. The minute he does this, if they get this done, it's gone. If the Democrats decide, if they keep the House and they pass legislation to this effect, 
their their inflation's right back where we started. And it's going to cost you more when your fifth grader is going to apply for college down the line. Tuition will spike because this is a subsidy to the universities who have massive endowments that could help reduce tuition. Every Ivy League university in this country could pay all of the tuition for every student and then some at other nearby universities, given the size of their endowments. They operate as hedge funds. It's ridiculous. They get away with it because the system rewards it. This is a further rewarding of a system that already has insane inflationary tuition prices, way outside the bounds of what a parent should have to pay to send their kids to college these days. All of those are good messages for Republicans, but I, I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to make those messages clear. However, what 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 Eliana said, and as you know, I said I don't think Republicans know how to argue anymore. So I think you're right about that. But saying you're giving all this money to these rich people, and you know my kid, you know my kid is like I don't know, lying on the street on fentanyl, like no fair. No, or I don't pay, know. Or or working two jobs to afford to go to the local community college, yeah, which is right. like the average American kid is not going to an elite university. They just aren't. Yeah. That is not the experience of most no, Americans. Like my kid went to become a plumber or a mechanic or, you know, yeah. went into a trade instead of going to or college and is now underwriting like all of these people. Yeah. yeah my kid join the military uh in order to be able to afford a four-year college education like why should these people be subsidizing people yeah. who chose to go to college and Who's like getting a women's loans. studies master's knowingly degree. took on loans <laughs> right exactly anyway it's interesting it'll be it's a it's an interesting moment but i i i i i often think i'm right I'm so, and by the way, I've been wrong about a lot of things in the last week. I should mention, I mentioned the wrong Dickens character was the guy who had the beautiful garden planted. It's not Mr. Dick. It was Miss in, in Great Expectations. It was Mr. Wemmick in, um, in, in, excuse me, in, in Great Expectations, not Mr. Dick and David Copperfield. And, uh, I mentioned Mondaire Jones beating, um, Elliot Engel and it was Jamal Bowman. So I've, I've been I've been all over the map this week. So I'm often wrong. But in this case, I really do think that the name of the game for Democrats is doing what they can to get the people whom they know will vote for them to vote for them to go out and vote for them, which is a which is a labor when you're when the president's approval rating is in the is in the mid to high thirties. And I mean, it's important to note that while we're talking about all this and Dobbs has changed everything and this and that and everything like that, Biden's approval rating is still under 40. I mean, maybe it's a tad over 40. Uh, if you do the average, the poll averages, I'm not sure where it is now, but it's in terrible odor. The, you know, condition of the country, the, you know, right track, wrong track numbers are horrible and Republicans are still up. In the generic ballot, Republicans are are up by one point. If you ask who, you know, who will you vote for, the Republican or the Democrat? The portents are not great, but the actual, uh, you know, the actual election results here are introducing a note of fascinating instability that is making this a much more interesting year than I expected it was going to be. And I would add that between now and when people go to the polls in November, school will be back in session. And there are going to be a lot of voters who are parents and who are have some affiliation with some something about public education. And to see how how school systems do this year, this school year, as we continue to try to emerge from all the COVID restrictions, there's there's a lot of chaos right now. There's this teacher shortage. There, there's a lot of disruption, um, which I think points to some of those school board elections in places like Florida. There's still a lot of churn going on that will have settled a little bit by the time people are voting in November. Right. Eliana, um, uh, you have some stuff you've done at the Free Beacon you want to alert people to, uh, fun stuff that people yes. should go into the free beacon to look at. I wanted to draw listeners attention to Chuck Ross's piece at the free beacon uh, headline pariah. No longer Biden admin taps Saudi energy company board member for top energy department post 
Um, I had a hard time believing this could be true. But yes, uh, the Biden administration has nominated the only American serving on the board of a state owned Saudi energy company to work at the U.S. Energy Department. And I find it humorous because, um, yes, remember when they were going to be a pariah state uh, that was before the fist bump. But also the Biden administration hailed this guy as green energy, this and that. Um, Let me tell you, the Saudi energy company not producing a whole lot of green energy. They're doing a lot of fossil fuels. They also left this board membership off the bio that they circulated announcing his nomination. Uh, So go read the piece. It's excellent. And it does show uh, what uh, absolute shameless hypocrites these guys are. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank Um, you, guys. The uh, Did I mansplain too much? No, you did good. Yeah, I, give I you, did? Okay. A solid, yeah, no, you did good. You let us you know, sometimes I'm sometimes men mansplain. You know, that's a thing where men tell, explain <laughs> things to anyway. <laughs> anyway, Eliana, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Abe will be back tomorrow, I'm sure. Noah again off this week. So for the absent Abe, the absent Noah, and Christina, I'm John Puckworth. Keep the candle burning.